all got that voice in our head that tells us we can't do stuff. But some people are just better at not listening to it. And by sitting down with those people, asking them questions, and then you know, recording it and blasting it out on the internet, perhaps, maybe, I can help other people like me get out of our own way. Hey guys, welcome back to Closure Optional, or welcome me back, which seems to be the uh, actual situation the last couple podcasts. Um, sorry for being away. I uh, don't have any excuses. I have, um, I listen to podcasts where people say, oh, sorry for being away. Sorry, I'll be more consistent. I know I should do this more. I'll definitely do it more. And um, I'm always like, I've, up to this point, I've always been like, yeah, it's not that fucking hard. Just do the podcast. You said you were going to do it. Just do it. And now I can see that life happens and I should be a bit more uh, forgiving and less of a judgmental asshole. So I'm sorry that I've been away. Uh, I've been absent from much more than just this podcast in my life. And uh, yeah, um, sorry about that. And I... Uh, here we are now. Hopefully this is an interesting enough podcast to keep you listening. And if you're still listening to this, then I really appreciate you hanging in there with me. Um, today, I wanted to talk about the four agreements. And this thing is kind of like, it's sort of like a little code of con- conduct that you can kind of apply to your life to potentially, the aim is, avoid unnecessary pain and suffering. The concept comes from a book by Don Miguel Ruiz called The Four Agreements. Ruiz is a a Mexican doctor who um, has learned this, well, he's taken this concept from ancient wisdom that was kind of passed down from his ancestors, uh, ancient Toltec people of Mexico. They were not the original indigenous people of Mexico, kind of the third generation in, I suppose, Um, It was the Olmecs first and the Maya and then the Toltecs and then after them was the Aztecs and then after them was the slaughter of everybody by the Europeans. (laughs) And now we have modern Mexico. Um, But he's taken some of the wisdom that came from these people and turned it into this kind of like cute uh, self-improvement philosophy. Um, I've read this book and it's good. I... It sort of borders on the line of being a little bit self-helpy, which can be a bit kind of dumb, but, and it's also a bit repetitive. So like if you Google the four agreements and you uh, just look at the images, there are infographics that show you the four agreements and a little tiny summary of what each one of them means. And that's pretty much all you need to know for the whole book. But the book is a super easy read. So if you're looking for something to read and you want a little bit more in depth than what I go into in this podcast, by all means, have a look for it. It's called The Four Agreements by... Don Miguel Ruiz. It's good. I think even if it is a bit self-helpy and a bit like, uh, I don't know, corny or whatever, I think the four agreements themselves are incredibly fucking good. And as a concept, super powerful. I think the best way to describe them is like they are four very easy, simple rules, like tangible things that you can put into place that help you live a more mindful life. You know, everyone's talking about um, mindfulness and love yourself, be confident, learn from your trauma, live your truth, whatever. You know, it's all just kind of fucking nonsense bullshit that's in a mean uh, meme. And it's rare, I think, to have like a set of specific rules that you can follow that I think personally will give you 
actually give you self-empowerment, if I can use such a fucking gross, wanky phrase, that everyone else is trying to sell you. These four agreements, I think, definitely do that. And if you can get in the habit of actually doing them every day and practicing them, uh, I think it helps you become a bit more of a mindful person. I think they're super helpful. But the hard part is remembering them. It's like you'll you'll hear me say them and you'll read them and you'll go, yeah, obviously, those are the things. But forcing yourself and reminding yourself and correcting yourself constantly when you're breaking one of those agreements is the hard part. I think there's definitely value in having these kind of rules for life. And this is the other stupid thing about uh, our modern culture, I think, personally. And Jordan Peterson, I get this idea a lot, obviously, from other people who are smarter than me that have done this. Jordan Peterson talks about it a little bit, but um, and Carl Jung, that we have really lost a big sense of ourselves and possibly a good reason for a lot of mental health disorders, anxiety and depression, alcoholism, drug abuse. A lot of that shit comes from us having a lack of meaning because we have no connection to myth anymore in our lives. And that's a fucking huge problem that we don't have any kind of sense of our place within this universe or a place of where we come from or a reason why we're here, or a reason where we're going and definitely no rules on how to live a life properly. We tend to be a bit fucking lost. And so you latch on to shit that feels good in the immediate present, which could be any of those kind of shitty vices or even just shitty behavior patterns and shitty ways of thinking or instant gratification, hedonism, just constantly always looking to make yourself feel good. Be happy, 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 whatever. You know, live in the moment. Like there's nothing grosser to me. Well, there's a million things that are gross as fuck, but like there's a, something really gross about people that have misunderstood the concept of be in the moment. And they're just like fucking hedonistic gratifying themselves and being like, whatever, just no regrets, live in the moment. <laughs> it's like, fuck, that's exactly the opposite of being with God or being one with the kind of eternal sense of beingness that ideally is what being in the moment is. Um, and I'm not being in the moment, obviously, clearly by making judgments on people, but I think discernment's a really important thing. Even the Buddhists, even the lovely, lovely, peaceful, wonderful Buddhists think that discernment is a very, very critical part of and path to spirituality. So anyways, the whole point of that little ramble there was that I think... Even if people's ancient people's myths were a bit goofy and hard to follow, and the Bible certainly is, those were the people that originated our culture. They're the original people that had to figure out what the fuck it is that we're doing here. And because they had to do it firsthand and had to develop these ideas on their own firsthand, or possibly with help from aliens or gods or whatever at the beginning of time... Uh, I think personally, they probably have a better fucking understanding of it than we do. Like we have gotten all of the filtered down Kmart shitty versions of their philosophies. They were the ones that had to build them from true experience from the start. So I think there's a lot of value in understanding ancient people's thinking. And, um, you know, even the 10 commandments, even though, uh, you know, take it with a grain of salt, obviously, because they definitely got some of it wrong. I mean, the Toltecs, uh, ripped people's hearts out <laughs> on top of a pyramid daily. And the Catholics are completely fucked for the most part. But let's not, you know, throw the baby out with the pedophiles. Actually, think about this. What if the Toltecs and the Aztecs were sacrificing pedophiles on the top of those pyramids? Let's not judge a book by the human sacrifices that created it. Right? 
So in this podcast today, I'm going to talk about why possibly we all need to do a little bit of self-helpy bullshit from time to time. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about my own psychological chaos. And uh, then I'm also going to give you a little mythical creation story from the Toltecs and uh, to sort of illustrate how having a belief system, whether as an individual person or as a collective society, can uh, severely impact our behavior. Like, for example, sacrificing potential child molesters on a pyramid in order to feed the sun. And then I'll also explain the four agreements, obviously, and how we can hopefully use them to generally benefit our lives a bit. I don't know, most self-help shit generally is a bit stupid and obvious to me because if you think about it, we all know deep down what we have to do. We just don't do it. You know, like we know if, you, if you're trying to lose weight, you know all you have to do is eat clean food and exercise a little bit. Like that's it. You know that's what you have to do, but you don't fucking do it, do you? Sometimes you do. Maybe sometimes you get a bit of discipline, you get a bit of motivation, whatever, and you do it. But for the most part, you just don't do it. No books or podcasts or fucking internet memes are going to make us listen to ourselves. And that's the problem. Why don't we do what's best for us? Because doing shit is hard. And it feels less good than the instant gratification of eating a chocolate chip cookie. And a lot of the times we don't do what's best for us because we don't even know what's best for us because we don't know ourselves at all. This is a really difficult thing. You think you know yourself, but you've got no fucking idea why you do what you do and why you have self-destructive tendencies, why you're struggling to get rid of that habit, why you're struggling to lose weight, why you're struggling to be better in relationships with other people. You don't understand it because you have an inbuilt function inside your brain that confirms your own beliefs about yourself, good or bad, and it's so fucking good at it and so efficient at it that you can't even see yourself doing it. This is no good. But the good news is, like, everyone does it. You're not an idiot. You're not alone. It's just that's the way our brains work. So introspection, which is the process of sort of looking inward at your own mind, behaviors, habits, emotions, uh, actions you take, and all of the excuses therein, um, that process is the key to personal growth or psychological growth. Um, If you think about it this way, like you will never know that you've got shit all over your face until you see your face in the mirror. Introspection is having a look at all of the bullshit inside your head and trying to separate it from the actual experience of reality. Um, The only other way that you'll know if you've got barbecue sauce on your face is that someone else close to you cares enough to tell you. So those are kind of our two channels to understanding ourselves. And unfortunately, both of them are riddled with psychological landmines, either ours or somebody else's. Uh, And the majority of those landmines, both ours and other people's, I think all stem from pain. I'm going to try and prove that uh, now in the next 10 minutes. Um, I'll try and explain what I mean by landmines too. It's that when you go digging around in there, it's difficult. It's a difficult process. If Let's just eliminate the elements for one second. If you are looking at, say, your own face in the mirror, you are able to see what your face looks like from your perspective. 
everybody else who looks at your face sees a different face than what you see because you're looking at yourself and you have an expectation for yourself to be a certain way. You're always going to be judging what your face is doing. But when you see that you've got barbecue sauce on your cheek, you can look at that and go, oh, that doesn't belong here. I should get rid of that because that's not really contributing to my face. Unless it's like, you know, making a cute beauty spot on your upper lip and you like it, maybe you could leave it there. I heard that you can tattoo moles on people, so that could be nice. But anyways, the point is uh, when you're looking at your face, you have a perception of what you think your face should look like and a judgment about whether or not your face matches the thing you think it should look like. Those are what I'm talking about when I say landmines. Now, the problem with other people telling you that you've got shit on your face is that they very possibly are projecting that they have shit on their face and they're ashamed of it. And so they're trying to tell you that you've got shit on your face so that they feel better about the shit that's all over their face. Does that make sense? So like this whole process is a fucking mess. But... Seeing the benefit of it and having some kind of cool, tangible rules and ways of going about doing it, uh, also forgiveness is very important when you're doing some introspection, that it's okay that you find shit on your face. It's not shameful. It's not a bad thing. It's like, yeah, right, you might have been walking around with barbecue sauce on your face for a half an hour. It's no big deal. Now you have the chance, you've seen it, to get rid of it and then go back to the party and have a good time, Right? It's not a source for shame and embarrassment for the rest of your life. And hopefully, if you're uh, a really solid human being, you can wipe the shit off of your face, go back out, and somebody go, oh, shit, I thought that was a mole on your face. And you go, no, I had fucking barbecues on my, on my face. How embarrassing. And then they laugh with you, and you have a bonding, good experience with something like that. It's okay to realize that you're fucking full of shit. As long as you recognize you're full of shit and make immediate changes to it, and don't let it turn to shame inside you. That's kind of the idea of introspection. And it's a good thing to do. I think it's a really fucking good thing to do. Key element here is with forgiveness. And probably if you've got some real shit on your face, like some real, real trauma, some real bad shit going on in there, make sure you've got some help, professional help, before you go in there digging around. But anyway, uh, so all of those landmines, the kind of shit where somebody would be projecting their shit onto your face or you looking at your face and being so ashamed that you have barbecue sauce on your face, that stuff comes from pain. All of that stuff comes from pain, some kind of pain that's inside one of us or both of us or three of us or 12 of us. And that's the kind of shit uh, that we have to really take a good hard look at. Um, And this is a bitch because we want to know ourselves But we are unfortunately biologically programmed to avoid pain at all costs. It will do almost anything to avoid it. But there is no escape from pain in our lives because we have no idea what's coming at any given moment and some of it is definitely going to suck. But pain isn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, Definitely not if it doesn't go on for too long and and you've got some healthy ways of managing it. It's super easy for me to sit here in this chair and talk to you about it. And the only reason I'm saying this stuff is that I um, had to really have a seriously good hard look at myself recently. And I think that, um, I don't know, it's helpful, I hope, to me and to anybody else in those kind of like the raw aftermath moments of some pretty severe uh 
introspection and realizing how you are and what you're doing and how your habits are impacting yourself and other people. That kind of shit. It's really, I don't know, personally, I think there like, could not be a better time for me to try and talk about this in a podcast so that it's uh, as real and as close to uh, honest as it can be, I guess. I don't know. Um, so a way that I've been trying to think about this is that when you experience pain, instead of being annoyed that there's pain and trying to run away from the pain, if you can have a think about it like, oh, fuck, there's an alarm going off in my system. What's causing the alarm to go off and how can I fix it? So whether we meant for the alarm to go off or not or whether it's our fault or not is actually completely irrelevant. The only way to turn the alarm off is to address the issue that turned it on and try and do something about it. But we don't do something, we, none of us really do that most of the time because addressing the cause of the alarm usually hurts. It's the reason the fucking alarm's going off, you know? Like if you put your hand on a hot stove and you feel pain, the first instinct and the right instinct is to pull your hand away straight away. But when we're talking about psychological introspection stuff here, when you have that alarm, yes, you need to mitigate the pain immediately, but at the same time, understand what made you put your hand on the hot stove in the first place? Why did you set your hand there? Why did you feel that pain? Was it because that you couldn't tell that the stove was on? All right. Is there something that you can do next time to see if the stove's on before you fucking put your hand on it? That kind of shit. And obviously looking at the cause of the pain takes time, effort, and a lot of times we don't have the space or energy or wherewithal or knowledge or experience or whatever to deal with that pain. And uh, so we basically just avoid it at all costs. The trouble with pain avoidance is that it's so fucking common and we're so good at it that it's hard to even know if we're doing it. And there's a bunch of ways that we do it from like the obvious ones like drinking and taking drugs and shit and seeking attention on Instagram um, to much more subtle unconscious patterns and habits that just kind of keep us trapped in these fucking horrible shitty cycles that we just repeat over and over and over again. The more pain we experience, the worse our mental health gets and we'll have less will or strength to cope with it ourselves. So because it's painful, we need an immediate fix and that helps for a little bit. And then the pain comes back stronger and louder. So then we need more help again. And then it gives us a little bit of relief, but uh, because it's giving you relief and no real skills to deal with the pain itself and definitely not dealing with the source of the pain or the, the reason for the pain, then when it comes back, the whole thing fucking repeats until eventually, until something snaps. And either it's a snap out of it or, um, you know, it ends your life. And this is fucked and this is really hard. Uh, you know, like, I've got no fucking idea how to resolve that and I'm not even going to try. Um, even when I had thought that I had gone completely off the rails, I realized that I have actually, I've actually just barely scratched the surface of what pain and addiction truly is. Like I had a point in my life where I was like kind of a visitor in the world of self-destruction and Jesus Christ, man, that is a heavy world for people who actually live there. No, I mean, I'm like when I think about it, I'm actually kind of embarrassed that I've even talked about that shit on the podcast because I had no idea how very little I actually know from personal experience about that shit in real life. 
But that's kind of the point of what I'm trying to talk about in this episode anyway. Fucking fuck Instagram means self-love, live your truth, all the one love clickbait philosophies on the ways of being. Fuck all that. Experience is the only path to real wisdom. And fuck. Experience sometimes fucking sucks. Nothing that you read in a book or hear in a podcast or read in a caption over a fucking duck face pouty selfie is going to prepare you for life hitting you hard in the face. But the good news is with these four agreements, you can, or any kind of philosophy that sort of resonates with you, but uh, I'll give you these four agreements anyways, you can possibly maybe ease some of the pain It happens when you do get bashed by life and then maybe help yourself through it with a bit of clarity so that you don't end up creating more pain for yourself in the long run or for somebody else in the process. That's the idea of it anyway, but who knows. If you've never been in like a totally fucked situation, then you're lucky and that's really good because it's not nice, obviously, but... If you've never experienced something totally fucked, you'll also never know how you're going to react when something really shit does happen. And you can fantasize all day about being a hero. But in that moment, you'll do whatever it is that you do. And especially if you're not ready for it, if you're not prepared for it, if you've never seen it before, you're going to be afraid. And fear can really fuck us up. Uh, And whether or not you're consciously aware of what you're doing even, you at the end of the day are responsible for yourself and your behavior. How you feel about what happened, how you learn from it, how you grow from it, or how you run away from it is up to you. So it sounds like kind of a daunting responsibility, especially if it's something that you just had no preparation for, you had no idea what you were doing. It sounds like a daunting responsibility, and it is, sure, but I think... It's also liberating because it immediately stops you from being a victim of your own life. And this is a very good thing. So yeah, maybe it is sometimes hard to take responsibility for your actions, but think about the opposite. The opposite is you are a machine being driven by something that's totally out of your control. And no matter what happens to you on any given moment, you just give your power over to whatever the fuck is going on around you and you constantly end up in cycles of pain and habit, addiction, fear, anger, whatever, weakness. That's the opposite. So either you take responsibility for who you are and what you're doing or you are led by the world around you. Because being a victim is, in my opinion, just another shitty tactic that we use to avoid pain. And unfortunately, it definitely inevitably causes more pain in the long run. And I know that sounds a little bit heartless, but um, hear me out. I'm not victim blaming. I'm talking specifically about having pain become a part of your identity. So if we believe that we're a victim and that we should be suffering, then our brain is always going to be looking for reinforcement from the world that we are suffering. And obviously, if you're looking around for the world for reasons why you're suffering, you are going to suffer, which causes you pain, which makes you more of a victim, and the cycle repeats itself. This reinforces the belief that, oh, no, the world's out to get me. And then you continue to seek confirmation until the fact that our entire world suddenly is full of horrible, evil cunts. In psychology, they call this a narrative bias, and it's helped by what they call confirmation bias. Uh, And so basically our identity 
this me, this sense of self is a story or a narrative that helps us make sense of ourselves in the world. And anything that doesn't make sense in our narrative of ourselves will either be dismissed, ignored, or explained away by our brain. So if we feel like a helpless and weak victim in the story, we will find all the reasons in the world why we have to continue to feel that way in the world. I hope that kind of makes sense. So it's like if you look in the mirror and you find that there's shit on your face and your belief about the world is, I've never, I would never put shit on my face. Somebody else must have put shit on my face. So, and by shit, I mean just something. I was talking about barbecue sauce before. Let's go with that because who would put shit on their face? Like, so you could, you, your brain would go, wait a second, is that barbecue sauce in my face? That's not possible. I never eat barbecue sauce. That may be true, but you may have forgotten that you did out of politeness just before when the host offered you uh, something, didn't realize that that had a little bit of barbecue sauce on it and you ate it while you were so busy trying to be polite and nice to the host that you forgot that you just ate something with barbecue sauce on it. But in your head, because you have a belief system about being a person that never eats barbecue sauce and never would, when you find barbecue sauce on your face, you go, how the fuck did that get there? Someone must have put it there because I wouldn't have done that myself. And then you leave the barbecue sauce on your face as proof of why the world's out to get you. And then you go back out into the party and growl at everyone and stare at everyone and isolate yourself from everyone or get angry. Or uh, if somebody calls out the fact that you've got barbecue sauce on their face, on your face, trying to help you, you snap at them and tell them to fuck off and stop putting barbecue sauce on your face. That's a real problem. This is what I'm talking about by being a victim of things. I'm not discounting anyone's suffering. I'm just saying that we all have the power within us to have a look at that suffering and not blame somebody else in the world or try and turn it into a belief system about the world. Instead, possibly use it as a tool to make us feel better uh, in our lives going forward and take a little bit more power back into ourselves. And I am, yeah, I'm rife with shitty fucking thinking. Unfortunately, I don't have the issue of thinking that I'm a victim, but what I have is uh, an irrational need to be perfect in every single situation. And this is fucking exhausting. And uh, I don't know, this need uh, stems from, I think, a core belief in my narrative, uh, the story of who I am, that I'm not good enough. I've justified it. Like, I know that this is a thing kind of about me, and I've justified it over time by saying that this belief helps me work really hard to get good at stuff, helps me be a good person to other people, helps me get shit done. And it does in a way, but only to a point, because it's like a costume of a person. It's like a plastic figurine version of my potential good, because um, true goodness and authentic potential, I think, only comes from love or clarity, uh, not fear. And so my need to be perfect is a very deeply ingrained way of me being afraid of the pain of not being good enough. I'm using a what seem, appears to be on the surface a positive trait of trying to be perfect and trying to work hard for stuff or whatever. I use that as a tactic to avoid pain. So I have a tendency, and in the most extreme examples, I have a tendency to do things to prove that I can 
so that I can convince myself and other people that I am good rather than just because it simply feels good to do good. And because of that core belief, I, because I have this just constant core belief inside myself that I'm not good enough that just runs in the background. It's like I'm not consciously aware of it during every given day or whatever. It just constantly runs in the background. Because of that belief, I also constantly have running in the background guilt or shame about my own existence, even if I've done nothing wrong at any point. If anything happens, somebody mentions something to me, you know, like something goes a little bit wrong or something, I'm not expecting it or whatever, um, I immediately go to guilt or shame, even if I'm not the one at fault, if I've done nothing wrong. Because in my head, number one, of course I could have done better because nothing's ever perfect and there's always something better that I could have done. And two, I know that deep down, whatever I did was for my own validation and self-preservation. And this is normal. I'm realizing this, the more I talk to anybody about this, this is a fucking hundred percent normal. I think basically everyone has an element of that inside themselves. The concept of the survival of the fittest. We are all, if you're very honest with yourself, we're all looking out for us first. Even our, in our most charitable actions, the most charitable shit you do, you're doing it for you because it feels good to do good. It feels good to help people. It's nice. It makes you feel like you're doing okay in this world. It makes you feel connected to the world that you live in. You do these things because we have an inbuilt compass that drives us, steers us towards good because it feels good to do good. So it's a pretty common underlying motivator for basically everyone. But the issue is, in my stupid brain, my sweet, charming little brain that I'm going to try not to be so mean to, um, is that I have this need to be perfect so I can't even accept that I have a very human tendency to take care of myself. So I'm ashamed of anything that I do that comes across as selfish because I'm fucking terrified of being selfish. So then what it ends up being is even more selfish because all I'm doing is trying to preserve my image of perfection rather than just being a self. See what I mean? It's fucking exhausting. And there is, to be very clear here, there is a big difference between knowing that I could have done better and I didn't, like uh, not making the time to write jokes or do the podcast and then bombing on stage and having people not listen to the podcast or not training hard enough for a fight and then getting the shit kicked out of me. Like those are very tangible real life feedback loops that show you, ah, you didn't show up, you didn't do the work. This is what happens when that happens. It's good to feel shame like that. It's good to feel those alarms go off so that you know next time to put in more effort so that you actually do your better potential or whatever. But my problem is that I have an unnatural expectation for myself to be impeccable all the time in every single situation, even situations that I've never, ever been in before. And how the fuck do you be perfect at something when you've never even experienced it before? You can't. It's idiotic. And this is where I tend to go wrong. In a roundabout way, what I'm getting at is that I have a psychological tendency uh, to need to know how to do everything right all the time, which is an avoidance of the pain of doing something wrong, which translates to not being good enough. But I don't know what I don't know. And because of that, I don't trust myself to know what to do when I don't know what to do. 
So instead of taking a deep breath and mindfully sort of looking at the situation objectively, I become overwhelmed with fear, which leads to either paralysis or and doing something fucking stupid. And this, unfortunately, is the exact wrong thing to do in any situation. So then I terrorize myself with guilt about being a fucking useless idiot. And the problem with feeling guilty all the time is that when we feel guilty, you look unconsciously for punishment um, because we believe that we deserve it. So with this programming running in the background of my mind all day over time, it's made me weaker and I've lost trust in myself. And this is particularly shit because even if it's subconscious, without trust in myself, I am much more susceptible to other people's opinions and ideas and shitty behavior. Um, I'm realizing that uh, a lot of things that are difficult for me to handle in my life uh, are stem from this same thing. I struggle to make decisions because I'm afraid they'll be wrong. I don't create strong boundaries for myself uh, with, with my work or with other people or my relationships so I can be taken advantage of. I lose sight of what I want in my life because I don't know what's good for me and uh, because I can't decide what I should do, what I should commit to, what I should work on, I just end up getting nothing done and just spinning my wheels for no reason. So all of that combined obviously then solidifies into the core belief that I'm not good enough because I don't even know what good is anymore. And this is a totally hopeless position. Same thing I was talking about at the start of the podcast, that when we have no attachment to like, or sorry, no belief in a um, reason for being, we have no meaning. And no meaning, this... When I don't know what's good anymore and what, what my value is or what I should be doing with myself, that equates to no meaning in my life, no connection to something greater than myself, just an aching desire to be a something that I don't even know exists. And it's stupid as fuck when you think about it properly. And unfortunately, sometimes for me at least, it takes a heavy dose of actually experiencing real pain to... um force me to stop and reevaluate how I'm living. So it's, that's what I mean. Like pain fucking sucks. Obviously it's a shitty thing, but, um, it's a, it can be an incredibly good way for you, uh, to take a break and have a look at your life and make sure that, um, you're doing something about it and it's helpful for me, I think at least anyway, to sit down and have a really good look at what's going on as long as I've got the time and wherewithal to deal with it. Unmanageable pain, however, and I need to say this with like a huge asterisk on the end of here, unmanageable pain or trauma is much harder to deal with on your own. And by all means, fucking please, for God's sakes, get professional help if you're struggling with unresolved trauma. You listening to this podcast and me rambling about my bullshit nothing life is... um not going to be helpful. So the point of these four agreements is you are, according to the Toltec philosophy and according to mindfulness philosophy, according to Viktor Frankl, who I was talking about in the last podcast, according to stoicism, according to a shitload of people out there uh, who seem to know a lot about the nature of being and reducing suffering in your life, you are responsible for your experience of your reality. 
You can choose how you feel about any given situation. And the four agreements are a tangible way of applying some specific things to your experience of your life that help you take more responsibility for your own experience. And then just what I was talking about right there is having core beliefs inside yourself that are toxic or painful or uh, stemming from pain that you haven't resolved will drastically impact your ability to perceive your reality in an objective and healthy way. So using these four agreements uh, to take responsibility for your life allows you to see the belief systems that are possibly uh, toxic and harming you and reapply the four agreements again to reevaluate your belief systems, get rid of some of the shit that you don't need anymore, and then keep going back to it. That's kind of the idea. So this way, ideally, you can hopefully build up a more solid foundation inside yourself so that you're better equipped to deal with real full-on pain when it inevitably comes your way. And then that way, obviously, ideally, that pain won't leave another permanent scar in your psyche, and you can use the pain... And as a lesson, you know, to sort of get stronger rather than become a victim of it. Obviously, as with everything I say, please take this shit with a grain of salt and remember that anyone can read Wikipedia for three nights in a row and then a couple books and ramble shit into a microphone and distribute it to the entire planet in an afternoon. <laughs> the internet is full of fuckwits and I'm one of them. But anyways, according to Don Miguel Ruiz and the ancient Toltec people of Mexico, being is a spectrum and you don't get to choose where you sit on that spectrum. Sometimes pain happens, sometimes it doesn't. You can only choose how comfortably you sit there on that spot. If you choose to sit stressed, you're going to be stressed and you're going to experience pain. Whatever's going on might really suck, but your reaction to it determines how you'll feel about it and how you're likely to respond. Like, think about it this way. This is a good, tangible example. I watched somebody uh, getting tattooed one time while I was getting tattooed. And I was going through this, like, Buddhist meditation phase at the time. And I had this really glory, glorious, gloryful, glorious idea about sitting in the pain, breathing into the pain, understanding that I had chosen to sit there and experience pain. So I was sitting there like meditating while he was tattooing my leg. And there was a guy across from me getting his back tattooed and he was just like breathing super heavy, flexing, like constantly asking the guy how far along he was going, how much longer it was going to be. And he was like sweating. He was bleeding everywhere, squirming. That shit, that... I know I I can't say that I was I wasn't in his chair and I don't know how painful his tattoo was right it might have been it, I know that a back is very painful I, I've got my back done and it fucking sucks it's horrifically painful it's awful um, probably more painful than my thigh was at the time but all of those behaviors weren't going to make that tattoo happen any faster in fact it dragged the tattoo out longer and his experience of the tattoo was fucking horrific because he was constantly resisting the pain. Whereas my experience of it was still uncomfortable. Obviously, I had pain, but I was choosing to uh, acknowledge that this was pain that I had chosen and I was accepting for the greater good. Um, So I'm just saying that like I'm super enlightened, obviously. The example is the reason why I bring that up is that wishing for the end of unavoidable pain causes more pain. 
It solidifies you in a hopeless position and creates panic. You can't change it, but you need it to stop. So you panic because you're hopeless. You are completely unable to escape this thing. So you want it to stop, but you can't do anything about it. So you panic. However, if you accept that it's happening, you can focus on the things that you can control and see a better way through it eventually. That's the idea anyway. Also, avoiding pain creates a weakness in yourself, but facing it creates resilience because you have to learn to strategize. Weakness makes room for fear, and fear causes people to do stupid fucking things. Courage, on the other hand, gives people a bit more time to consider what's right because their brain... Uh, What happens to your brain when you go into fear response or emotional response is the front part of your brain, the prefrontal cortex, turns off. That's your rational part of your brain that goes, don't punch that person in the face, don't take those drugs, don't run away, don't scream and yell, whatever, don't hit the attendant at the hospital in the face because they're not treating your child. Whatever the fuck it is, that's you being afraid or angry, and uh, fear drives anger, your prefrontal cortex turns off, you don't have a rational filter that stops you from doing a shitty behavior, and your primal uh, reptilian brain at the bottom of your head takes over and goes, fuck it, punch him in the head. This is no good, right? Unfortunately, this is a natural product of your brain and a natural response. So if you are living in fear, you are going to be continually making mistakes that cause you more pain and more fear. If you can learn to cultivate some strength and courage in the face of dangerous situations, you will have a better chance of doing something a bit more objectively rational and probably saving yourself the drama of what comes from doing something from fear, if that makes sense. So if we are to cultivate a more courageous self and not succumb to our prefrontal cortex turning off and just going apeshit, we need to face the source of pain and accept it and then take action if possible to mitigate any long-term harm or trauma uh, from that pain and then be courageous in accepting the shit you can't. I'm sure that everyone's heard this before, but... um, I forget how it goes all the time. I always remember just parts of it. But this is the serenity prayer. And for God's sakes, I know if you're not into religions, whatever, you might think it's stupid, but don't. Don't let your atheist, anti-religious mind turn you off from something that has a lot of beautiful wisdom in it. If it is our greatest good to take responsibility for ourselves in order for us to live a more uh, genuinely loving caring, uh, full of potential and happy life, then listening to what God people have to say is probably not such a bad idea. Anyways, here we go. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Wisdom comes from experience. No book or podcast or Instagram fucking meme can tell you how to be. Yes, hardship feels hard, in the moment. But it's not always hard and it's not always easy. Life is a spectrum. And according to the Toltecs and most intelligent people I know uh, and pretty much everybody in modern psychology at this moment has an understanding that we are responsible for how we experience our lives, good and bad. Our individual reality is constructed out of our perspective, meaning that we filter out what we don't want to see and we pay attention to whatever our brains, consciously or unconsciously, 
have decided is important. So considering all of that, no matter what the fuck is going on in your life, good or bad, the truth is possibly that you have exactly what you want, even if it fucking sucks. Because if you didn't want it, you wouldn't notice that it's there. It's probably there for a reason. That might be a lot to take in, and for God's sakes, I've been talking for a long time already, and I haven't even barely gotten to scratch the surface of what the Toltecs are into. Um, maybe it's not even, uh, nah, I am going to tell you this creation story because I really like it. Um, the, I'm going to tell you this creation story. Well, I'm going to tell you the four agreements for fuck's sake, because I haven't even started with that. I've been talking for an hour and have not even told you about the four agreements. The four agreements are... Number one, be impeccable with your word. Speak with integrity. Say only what you mean. Avoid using the word to speak out against yourself or to gossip about others. Use the power of your word in the direction of truth and love. So what he's basically talking about is don't talk shit. Don't lie. Don't talk shit about other people. Don't pretend to be anything that you're not. Use your word in the direction of truth and love. That way, no matter what the fuck goes on, if somebody questions you, if somebody doesn't know what's going on, you know at your core that you've done exactly the best by yourself. You've, you've showed them exactly as clear as you could from your perspective what was right. As we all know, our brains are malleable and full of fucking lies themselves, but as far as you're concerned, whatever you know to be true, say it out loud and don't lie to yourself, don't lie to anyone else. Second one, don't take anything personally. Nothing that others do is because of you. What others say and do is a projection of their own reality or their own dream. When you're immune to the opinions of others, you won't be the victim of needless suffering. So uh, a good example of this and something that I think I've talked about in the podcast before, but I like it, is when you're driving in the car and somebody like veers over into your lane and cuts you off for a second and then they go back into their lane. You have a couple options of how you're going to react to that. And if your first thought is, oh, that fucking dumb cunt, what a fucking stupid idiot. Oh, my God, he could have killed me. And you run up next to him and you start giving them a finger and screaming at him and all nonsense, bullshit, whatever. You think everyone's out to get you, right? That could be your position. Or you could go, oh, my God, I was following too close. I, I, I probably scared them with my lights or something. There, I was probably something I did, and they, they probably freaked out, and they probably came into my lane on purpose because they were just trying to prove to me that I was bad. That's also a shitty way of thinking. Or if you think, hmm, fuck, the person in front of me is having a tough time right now. I'm going to back up a little bit, give them some space, and watch what's going on. If they do that again... They clearly are not in control of their vehicle and it probably would do me some good to alert the people around me and possibly the police that this person doesn't know how to fucking drive a car. But I'm not going to do any rash decisions right now. I'm just going to sit back, watch the situation. That is the mindful way, the not taking anything personal way of driving in a car. If you consider that, think about that example and apply that to a human being that is interacting with you in a grocery store or walking down the street or whatever. You don't know what the fuck's going on inside that car. You don't know what's happened. You don't know what's led them to drive the way they drove. Maybe a spider crawled up their leg. Maybe they've got two little kids in the back and one of them spewed on their own lap. 
You know what I mean? You never know what the fuck is going on inside that car. You can only see the external actions that are going on on the road. And yes, sometimes somebody's internal bullshit can be dangerous or scary to you on the outside, but it's not your fault necessarily that they've done that thing. You're only responsible for your part in it. If you were driving up their ass and flashing your lights at them and fucking them off, yeah, they're probably going to get angry. But if you weren't and you were just minding your own business, doing the best you could to drive safely and carefully and they swerved into your lane, don't take it personally. It's got fucking nothing to do with you. And it's not your problem unless you feel like they are a danger to themselves or somebody else and you need to, I don't know, alert somebody to that fact. That's all I'm getting at. So not taking anything personally. And this is one is one that I really, really struggle with. I, because again, I have this core belief that I have to be perfect all the time. If it appears to me that somebody I respect, uh, doesn't like what I've done or thinks that I'm shit or thinks I'm stupid or, um, doesn't think a joke of mine is funny or whatever, I can take it really personally. And then that, uh, all I do is turn that around on myself and beat myself up and make myself feel like an asshole. That's no good. It's a total waste of time, a total waste of energy. And all it does is stop me from doing the shit I want to do and being able to love other people in a normal, healthy way. Because instead of loving them, I'm just trying really hard not to fuck up. And that doesn't make any sense. Okay. Number three, don't make assumptions. Find the courage to ask questions. (laughs) Let me try that again. Number three, don't make assumptions. Find the courage to ask questions and to express what you really want. Communicate with others as clearly as you can to avoid misunderstandings, sadness, and drama. With this one agreement, they say, you can completely transform your life. If you assume something is because of something else, basically what you've done is just created a fantasy inside your head that you have now linked actions and behaviors and emotions to. Imagine if... Okay, here's a good example. You know when you're asleep at night, if you have a partner and you're asleep and in the middle of the night you have a dream that your partner has cheated on you or something and then it's so horrifying that it wakes you up in the middle of the night and you're breathing heavy and you're angry and you're still angry. You go back to sleep, you wake up in the morning and you don't really know why but you are really angry at your partner and then you remember, oh yeah, it's because he fucking cheated on me in my sleep last night. Did he really cheat on you? No, obviously not. It's a fucking fantasy that your brain made up. There's probably some underlying insecurity inside yourself that has made you dream that, that you're trying to prepare yourself for the inevitable potential pain that may come from being in a relationship with someone who might possibly do something that you don't like. But that's all that's happening. So your brain potentially in your dream is trying to, I don't know, Test your boundaries, uh, test your ability to handle pain, (laughs) whatever the fuck a dream is for. But the fact is, it's a fantasy. It's not reality. But you have a tangible, real-life, experiential emotion that's linked to a fantasy. That's a dream, and you know it's a dream, and you wake up and you tell them about it, and then you both laugh about it, and it's all over. The problem with assumptions are you don't fucking, you don't know it's a dream. 
You don't know it's a fantasy. You're living your life making constant assumptions about all kinds of shit all the time because of this narrative bias. We have to make sense of things all day, every day in order to navigate the world in a safe, healthy, happy way. If we don't do it, we don't know what the fuck is going on and we get lost. So our brain is automatically primed and designed to want to make assumptions about things so that we can put a story together about why what's happening is happening. The problem with that is, of course, that you live in a fantasy. So what he says is find the courage to ask questions and to express what you really want. Communicate with others clearly so that you can avoid miscommunications, sadness, and drama. And this makes a lot of sense. Yes, you can have assumptions. Your brain's automatically going to create some fucking nonsense story for you to believe. But have the courage to ask people about it. Get clarification. Talk to people about it. Be kind about it. Don't react to the assumption until you know for a fact what the fuck is going on. And if you can't know what's going on or if somebody reacts badly to you asking a question, fuck them. Don't take anything personally, right? You were impeccable with your word. You said out loud what you thought was going on and you wanted to make sure that wasn't the case. You wanted to clarify it. If they got mad at you, that's their problem, not yours. And then lastly... Always do your best. Your best is going to change from moment to moment. It will be different from when you're healthy as opposed to sick. Under any circumstance, simply do your best and you'll avoid self-judgment, self-abuse, and regret. I love this uh, because obviously it speaks very loudly and clearly to me, the person who must always be perfect all the time. I read that one. Obviously, yes, of course, always do your best. Um, But the thing that my brain doesn't allow me to understand is that your best is going to change from moment to moment. It's going to be different from when you're healthy as opposed to sick. And it's going to be different if you've never experienced a situation ever before and you don't know what to do versus something that you know how to do and you know how to do it every single day. You are going to be more proficient at stuff you have experience in and not proficient in brand new experiences. That's the nature of reality. So always do your best, whatever it is, what in any situation, show up, try to keep those three agreements in the front of your mind so that you can employ them and do your best to do them. Also, um, the thing that I love about this is that if you know that you've done the best you can, then you have no regrets. I know that we talk about this with fighters a lot because it's super important. The fight camp, those six to eight weeks before your fight are crucial to your mental well-being as much as they are to your physical stamina. In a fight, yes, it's very physical and you have to be fit and you have to be strong and you have to have good abs to protect your organs so that um, when somebody hits you, you can withstand the punishment and also give it back. But if there is any doubt in your mind that you didn't do your best for your fight camp, that you skipped out on a few days of training, you didn't do the run as much as you could or whatever, you didn't put in all the work that you did in training, that doubt will be so much more toxic than any strike that will ever land on you. If you know that you could have done better and you didn't do better, once you start getting tired in the fight, that thing, that voice will take over. So it's critical in a fight camp that you are mentally... Uh, focused and doing your best every single day so that there is no chance of a doubt appearing in your head when you get tired. And I think about that all the time in my day-to-day life. I probably have an unhealthy attachment to needing to do my best, and that's something I'm working on myself. So for goodness sakes, I've been talking for an hour. Maybe, Maybe what I'll do is I'll tell you the story, the Toltec creation story at the end of this podcast now. Um, 
And if you're not interested in it, then you've gotten the whole gist of the podcast anyway, and you're done. You can turn the podcast off now and go back about your life. But if you want a little bit extra content and you want to hear this creation story, uh, which, and what I mean by creation story is that this is the genesis of, uh, the Toltec religion. If there is such a thing, I don't know if it's a religion more so of philosophy and way of life. So this is the creation story that comes from uh, ancient Mexico. Tol- the Toltec people, this is probably uh, spoken more from the Aztec people because we have a bit more uh, information from the Maya and the Aztec in a written form than we do from the Toltec people. But they all worship the same gods, so they probably had a generally this variation of the creation story. Uh, the Toltecs lived in Mexico around... Uh, I don't know, 500 AD, 550 AD, and uh, up until the Aztec Empire at about 1150 AD, or Common Era, as they say these days. Um, And this is a cool story. So if you're into myths and shit, then awesome, you're going to enjoy this. If you're not, then fucking go about your life, and thank you so much for listening so far. Uh, All right, so the Aztec slash Toltec slash Maya kind of believed that so far in the existence of the universe and earth, there have been five suns. Each time there was a creation of earth, there was a sun that presided over the earth and gave it life. But something went terribly wrong. The sun fucked up, the earth fucked up, and they had to start again. So at the beginning, there was nothingness. The universal oneness, the God, the uh, source energy, creative energy, whatever the fuck it is, the universe existed. And the universe uh, decided to create four gods, one for each of the cardinal directions. The god of the north was called Tezcatipulca, and he was the god of judgment and sorcery. Then there was the god of the south called Huitzilopochtli, who was god of war. Then there was the god of the east, who is the god of spring and crops, and his name was Shipe Totec. And then lastly, the god of the west was the white god of light, mercy, and the wind, and his name was Quetzalcoatl. So each one of these four gods needed something to do, obviously, and the universal original creator said, I will give you earth, and one of you is going to be the sun that presides over that earth and gives it light. So for the first sun, it was the god of the north. He was the oldest of all the gods. He was an old man, and he only had one leg. I don't really understand how that happened, obviously. I think there's probably a life story to this god before he became the god, the sun that presided over the earth. But... um Wikipedia didn't go into that, so I don't know. This god of the north, Tezcatipulca, had one leg, and he was old. And he was being the son, and Quetzalcoatl, his brother, got jealous that he didn't get to be the first son. So Quetzalcoatl hit Tezcatipulca out of the sky, and Tezcatipulca was like, what the fuck, man? That's not fair. I'm the oldest brother. I should be doing this job. You're a fucking idiot, so guess what? I'm going to set a whole bunch of jaguars on the people of the earth, and everyone died. 
So then the original creator was like, all right, guys, let's try again. You fucked that one up. Here's another earth. Don't fuck this one up. This time, everyone looked at Quetzalcoatl and were like, mate, you think you can do such a fucking good job? You think your brother sucks? You be the son. And he's like, all right, watch this. And everything was pretty good for a while. Uh, The people were having a good time. Everybody seemed pretty happy. Quetzalcoatl was doing a good job. He's the god of light and mercy and wind. He was giving nice breezes to the people. But the people didn't really respect the gods enough. And this made Tezcatipoca, the god of the north, who's the god of sorcery and only had one leg, pretty fucking annoyed. Maybe he was a victim of having only one leg and he was annoyed about it. He was mad that the people of earth had two legs. I don't know. But either way, he was like, fuck you. We're gods. They're just shitty people that live on earth. They should have more respect for us. And Quetzalcoatl was like, mate, just leave him alone. Let him have a good time. And uh, the god of the north was like, yeah, I'll let him have a good time. Watch this. They don't give a fuck about rules or gods. I'll turn them all into monkeys. And Quetzalcoatl obviously got very angry about that and was like, well, fine. Fuck you. I wanted people, not monkeys. So he blew all the monkeys off the face of the earth with a hurricane. Then the original creator was like, guys, what the fuck? All right, I'll give you one more earth. Don't fuck this one up. This time, the brothers all got together and Shipe uh, Totek, who was the uh, god of the east, the god of crops, was like, look, maybe it's too close to home if one of us is the sun again, right? I think it's too much family rivalry, whatever. I'm going to create another god, the god of rain, Talok, and I'm going to have him be the sun and then we can just like chill out up here and be gods. And they were like, all right, yeah, fine, let's give it a try. Um, interesting side note about Shipe Totek is that he's the god of renewal, crops and regeneration. And when the people uh, worship him, they... All, put on his statues, they all put skins on his statues because in order to give the original crops to the people, he shed his own skin. He skinned himself alive, took off his own skin and created crops out of it. So uh, when they want to worship that God, they give him skin back, not um, their own skin, normally, normally animal skin. But anyway, so Shipe Totek made Talok, the god of rain, and was like, you, mate, uh, are going to be the, su- the sun for the earth. And the people were doing all right, and they got crops, and they got had food, and everything was going pretty well. But during this time, while Talok was being busy being the sun, his wife got a little power hungry and started having sex with the uh, god of the north. Now, the god of the north is this old man. He's only got one leg, but he's the god of sorcery and judgment. So he's probably getting in her ear about what a shit cunt that Talak was and pulled her away. So then uh, they're having an affair. Talak finds out about it, and he's so depressed that he just stops taking care of the earth. He just does nothing at all. And so the people are starting to get hungry. There's famine. They can't eat. Everything's drying up. So they're begging and begging and begging for rain. But he wouldn't do anything. He wouldn't do anything. And the people kept begging and he still wouldn't do anything. So then finally he got so annoyed that he rained fire down on them and burnt the whole earth to a crisp. 
with everyone on it. I imagine at this point the original creator is like, no, fuck you then. Like, what's the point? But for some reason, there is like some need for the earth to continue to persist, despite the gods constantly fucking it up. And so he goes, all right, bad luck, team. You fucked that one up. Let's give it another go. This time, the earth came back, and this son was a lady, because they thought maybe too much masculine energy isn't doing the trick here. They're all too busy fighting and getting jealous and mean. Let's see uh, what a lady can do as the son. So this time it was Tulak's second wife, who was the goddess of rivers and lakes. And her name is Chalchiwitalki, but that's a hard one to pronounce, so I'm not going to say it again. Um, but, of course, naturally something went terribly wrong. Um, there's two different variations of this story, depending on if you read a Maya codex, I think, or if you read an Aztec story, um, so I, who knows, but something terribly went wrong and it was either this, it was either that, uh, the one legged God from the North got in her ear and because he's a fucking sorcerer and a manipulator, he said to her, yeah, you're doing a really good job caring for all the people of earth, you the goddess of rain and shit, but I have a feeling that you're only being nice to the people of earth because you're a people pleaser and you're doing it for your own selfish desires, your own selfish needs because you're a selfish little bitch. And she got really offended and was like, no, I fuck, I think I'm doing this because I care about other people and that's not fair and how dare you say that to me? So she cried blood for 50 years and flooded the earth. The other variation of that story is that Tlaq, who was her now husband, was still heartbroken. Oh, the dogs are getting crazy again. Hey, cut it out. I know it's an exciting story, but you have to relax. Good girl. Um, so that Tlaq, because she was Tlaq's second wife, she was sort of sloppy seconds, um, he was still heartbroken over his first wife, and so he kind of neglected her. He wasn't very good to her. And this made her very sad, and she cried for 50 years and flooded the earth. Um, so then there is the fifth son. That is the one that we're in now. The fifth son is the one that is presiding over us now every day when we wake up in the morning and the sun rises. This time... Everyone got together and we're like, all right, fucking Jesus. We fucked up four sons. Can we not do a little bit better this time? And Quetzalcoatl goes, yeah, you know what? I fucked up the first and second sons. Let's give it another crack. And this time I'm going to prove that I care about these people and I'm going to make a sacrifice of myself. I'm going to go into the underworld myself and steal back the bones of the people that were killed during my son." When I get those bones, I'm going to fill them with my own blood and bring those people back to life. And everyone was like, all right, mate, good luck. And he did it. He went down into the underworld, got the bones back, filled them with blood, and populated the earth again with the people that we are now today. So the Aztecs believed it was their responsibility to give back to Quetzalcoatl, or Aztec slash Toltec slash Maya, that it was their job to give back to Quetzalcoatl because he was the one that originally gave them life. He did that, and he goes, I obviously am not good enough to be the son because I've tried that already and I kind of fucked up. And so all three brothers looked 
finally to the fourth brother, the fourth uh, of the cardinal directions, the God of the South, and said, Mate, Witsi Lapochti, can you please be the sun for this earth? And he, he Witsi Lapochti, is the God of war. And he was like, yeah, I will, but there's a catch. Witsi Lapochti was kind of an accident. This is where shit gets a little bit confusing because at the original, uh, there were originally four gods, right? There was the god of the north, south, east, and west. But the god that was from the south, Witsi Lapochti, came after the first three gods. And in between the first three gods and him, there was also 400 other siblings. <laughs> and these 400 siblings got really angry when Witsi Lapochti's mom got pregnant with him. Because they were like, fucking what? Is 403 kids not enough? You have to make 404. And they were like, you're too old. What are you doing having kids again? And so they all got together and were like, fuck this bitch. She can't have this kid. Let's kill her. So they got together and they went to the Witsi Lapochti's mother's house while he was in her womb ready to be born, and he found out about this plan. He heard about it somehow through the womb and sprung out of her womb and beat the shit out of all of them. He didn't kill all 400, but he killed a lot of them and fought all of them, and the ones that were left over, he banished to the night sky. And they are now what we see when we look up at the stars. So... Witsi Lapochti was like, yeah, I'll be the sun. I'm the god of war because I was born into war. I'm going to die in war. Yes, I'll be happy to be the sun. But just so you know, I have 400 siblings that are in the night sky ready to kill me at any given moment because they fucking hate me. And they, all the rest of the gods were like, yeah, mate, like that's, I guess, something we're willing to accept. So the Aztecs slash Toltecs believed that if they didn't give the sun human hearts through sacrifices daily, that he wouldn't have enough strength to go through the underworld at night where his siblings, as soon as he went underneath the earth, his siblings, these assholes up in the sky would conspire to keep him down in the underworld forever. So when the nights die, when the stars come out in the night sky, uh, they are all conspiring to try and not let the sun come back in the morning. So, if, they, if the humans of the earth gave him a human heart, which is the core essence, our love, our core, strongest, most powerful thing, if they could give that to the sun, just one heart every day, the sun would rise again the next day. So there you go. There's a wacky wild belief system that led to the sacrifice of human beings on the daily. But look, it's not so bad. At least it's fucking honest, right? The kind of human sacrifices that we're doing on the regular is no good. Like, that we're so selfish that I can't handle not drinking out of a plastic water bottle and knowing full well that my doing that is causing the destruction of this planet and possibly my own extinction is fucking retarded. But that's how we live. So anyway, not so quick to judge other people's stupid belief systems because you, my dear, are full of nonsense bullshit belief systems that are impacting your life in a good way or a bad way all day, every day. 
So once you start getting on your high horse thinking that you know shit about anything, just remember that you don't know fucking anything about anything. And neither do I. So please don't take my word for it. I hope that this podcast was interesting and compelling and of some kind of value to you because uh, for God's sakes, I can't live with myself if I'm not perfect. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I fucking love doing this podcast so much and I will be back again very soon with another episode. I hope. (laughs) Thank you again, as always, for listening. Thank you for supporting the podcast. If you like this episode or any other episode, please share it with your friends, tell your friends, whatever. Help validate me on the world of the internet. Talk to you again soon. Bye.